Hi, this is Steve. Have you ever had a situation where you're entering into a conversation and you just don't know how to do it? You don't know how to relate to the person and it's very intimidating and it's just a real struggle. Awkward. Very awkward. You don't feel competent, you don't feel confident, and you don't know how to start, how to start, where to go with it. Imagine if you had a communication deficit. Right. If it wasn't a one-time thing, it was an all-time thing. Exactly. It would be very isolating. Indeed. Well, today we're talking with Kate Shannon and Kelly Dahl from Brains in Grand Rapids. They work with young adults with communication deficits. They have a curriculum called PEERS, P-E-E-R-S, which they got from UCLA, and um, we're going to learn more about it. Great. Hi, this is Steve, and welcome to Navigating Life as We Know It, a podcast that celebrates ability, embracing diversity, and living inclusively. My guests today are Kelly Dahl, who has a master's degree in social work from the University of Michigan, and Kate Shannon, who has got her doctorate of development psychology from the University of Maryland. So you both are from the U of M, but just different states. Yes, exactly. (laughs) We have that in common. Today's conversation is about a social skills group held over a period of time from like May of uh, 2021 to August. So quite a few weeks went by there. Mm-hmm. 16 and, uh, weeks. 16 weeks with the same people once a week? Yes. Tell us about PEERS. Obviously, it's an acronym and it's something that was developed in California. Yes. Um, out of UCLA, Dr. Logason um, has been developing the PEERS curriculum over, uh, it's got to be more than a decade, um, and she has developed it for numerous uh, age groups. So it goes all the way down from preschoolers up to young adults, but also the young adult curriculum could apply to adults really at any age. There's no there's no line you pass where it's necessarily from one to the other. It is kind of a gradient. Yeah, it is a gradient. I mean, obviously, at different age groups, they cover different things. So, sure. um, you know, dating becomes a big thing for the young adults and adults. Dating and um, vocational skills. Um, and then, you know, the younger age groups is more geared towards school and socializing in that capacity. And this isn't exclusively for autism, is it? No, it was definitely developed for individuals with autism, I think, initially, but um, it really can encompass anyone experiencing any sort of social skill deficit um, that can be related to ADHD, social anxiety, um, social anxiety, although social with social anxiety, we need a little bit more information about it because it doesn't exactly address anxiety, but it can give you the skills you need, but the anxiety also needs to be addressed. So, Because I looked at their website yeah, and they do, they had many different groups that they Absolutely. have geared this toward. Yes. And it did mention attention deficit disorder and a few mm-hmm. other ones. And as I looked at it, I'm thinking... That's something that would have been very helpful for me for anxiety in high school. Absolutely. <laughs> and I got a touch of ADD myself, so that's something that which helps you focus. Mm-hmm. I thought this is kind of a cool thing, really. I sincerely think that most people can benefit from at least some of these concepts. So it really is an inclusive curriculum in that capacity. And what does PEERS stand for? Program Education Enrichment Relational Skills. What will we do without acronyms? Oh, awesome. It's right here on the page. I was like, I actually don't remember. (laughs) And what's interesting, from one industry to the next, sometimes they have the same acronym standing for something totally different. So I came from an insurance investment industry. And and those acronyms are duplicated other places. And my brain goes down that road. So it's a disconnect. They can can help, but they can also hinder. Yes. (laughs) And it's, of course, the peers. You're talking about groups within certain age groups or, or different skill groups, et cetera. Mm-hmm. Uh, Shannon, you worked with the teen group. 
Yes, I did. Um, and at the same time, uh, the parent group, Kelly, you were working with them, so they kind of split off differently. Correct. We had two groups. We had 10, 10 teams all together. Mm-hmm. And something that's unique about peers is there is a parent component, too. At the same time. Which is yeah. different because a lot of programs really just you drop your kids off and they go learn what they're going to learn. And maybe they tell parents about what's going on. But what I think is so valuable and really unique to peers is that the parents are learning the curriculum along with their teens because the parents need to be the coaches for the teens during between classes because Kate can do as much as she can teaching skills and teens still need support from their parents to be pushing themselves a little bit Mm -hmm. to connect and if the parents aren't there reinforcing that oh remember you need to try text somebody this week it's it's less likely to happen Mm -hmm. yeah and i can imagine at that particular age you had teenagers correct yes yes they're less likely to be connecting with their parents and following advice at that age anyway but it's it, true. It I would say good. we had a good group um, with both from the teen perspective and the parent perspective. So yeah. I really do think they took the parents took their jobs as the social coaches really seriously, and the kids listened. Yeah. Um, but that could just be unique. We got we got a good group. Well, what I'll say that I heard from the parents that you might not have heard mm-hmm. as much, Kate, from the teens directly is. That it, the parents talked about how it was easier for them to remind the teens things because the teens already heard it from somebody else. Mm-hmm. And so that idea of the, the parent being the reminder or in that coaching role sure. instead of the person providing the information or making the initial suggestion. That's a good point. A lot of the parents said, my teen is receptive because Kate said it, I didn't say it. I've got this theory that we all should swap kids at age 14. If if you're somebody, yeah, you know, (laughs) they listen to the other parents because it's not their parents. So it might work out better that way. It might. That's a great (laughs) idea. And then we also had the benefit of being in a group setting. So not only were the teens hearing the information from me, but we would do a lot of great group discussions where the teens would reinforce what I was saying, provide real life examples. And that was even more powerful than what I was saying. So definitely they were learning from each other. Um, well, there's a certain amount of street cred there if your peer is saying it. Totally. Absolutely. Yeah. There were some requirements for people to participate. Obviously, you wouldn't uh, want to have a uh, parent and child that are hostile because you've got too many other issues going there to try to work through. Yes. The, the teens had to agree and not just grudgingly agree. They had to understand that there's a problem to be solved. Absolutely. And we um, learned a few lessons um, on the front end about how important that was because they have to, number one, identify there's an issue, but also want to work on that issue um, because without those things, we are just coming up against too many barriers for them to be receptive to the information. So that is first and foremost. I would say that's the most important criteria. And that's probably universally true with any human being. Yes. If they don't really want to work on it, you're not going to, you can't. For therapy in general. Make it happen. Absolutely. Absolutely. Working and living in the disability community myself, I do know that sometimes there are relationships between parent and child, which make it almost difficult, if not impossible, to have this kind of a sit down. So that is really cool. Right. It is. It was um, It was hard when we had to turn a few people away because um, the teens themselves were not receptive to the information. And I know it kind of broke the parents' hearts. Um, Maybe so next year. That Exactly. And yeah. that's what we always left the door open. Um, just that's okay. We're, we're always here. We're going to keep this group going. Um, when you're ready, we're here. So You probably didn't have the other way. The kids were excited about doing what the parents weren't receptive. We probably wouldn't have heard about those. No. <laughs> and I, I think I could see as a parent, some of the, the challenges would be it's a time commitment. It was a 16 week long course sure. once a week because with we, homework, with homework, 
Um, I mean, not writing essays or anything like that, but they did have to be practicing these skills, which means arranging times to get together with peers to practice mm-hmm. social interaction. And it was over the summer. We were May to August, and um, we were understanding that there are vacations and there are different things that come up. So you might miss a couple of times, but you really needed to make that time commitment. And it's a financial commitment, too. We mm-hmm. try to make opportunities available um, for some financial assistance, if that is a really big barrier for a family that would benefit from this. Mm-hmm. But those two factors are going to be barriers and are unfortunately, I'm sure we wouldn't have heard from those parents who looked at it and said, I can't do this. Yeah, it was a big commitment. And I think yeah. from a time resource perspective, first and foremost, so... Sure. You might have had a slight advantage to having a pandemic going on because there weren't a whole lot of other things to do. True, true. It did turn into a little bit of a difficulty, though, too, when it came time for the teens to be getting together with friends or joining some kind of group. A lot of those things weren't going quite as much, along with the the challenge of there's not as much available for that teen age age range as well. Um, So COVID didn't help that by any means. Mm -hmm. Um, But I think we were able to overcome that and still have definitely got creative. Um, But I was glad we were ready to go virtual if we needed to. But I was I was really glad that we were able to, um, you know, within the groups, we socially distanced. everyone kept their masks on. um, And we didn't didn't have any issues there. So we, we got really lucky in that respect, because that in-person connection, I think, was even more important um, given the, you know, the pandemic. Is this your first time uh, trying this? Yes. Yep. Will you be doing it again? Yes. That's the plan. Yeah. Good. Excellent. And and one of the things people were looking for is is skills in, in developing and maintaining friendships. Mm-hmm. And conflict resolution again. This is where this is universally for all parents. This could work for couples. It could work for <laughs> a lot of different folks. Yes. But uh, so they all look forward to doing that. Now let's talk about how you actually did it. Mm-hmm. And let's let's talk about first with the teens. You know, sure. you could, so should I talk about the different topics or kind of how the the group ran in terms of like from a process standpoint? Well, both kind of um sure so yeah i think i can do that so we each week our topics kind of built off of the previous weeks so each week we were trying to build up skills for our teens to be able to number one just first and foremost identify folks who maybe friend potentials, and then give them the skills to actually go up and talk to somebody because that is kind of a nerve-wracking experience. A lot of us don't just have those skills ready to go. And so we really honed in on how to approach, but then how to be appropriate once the approach was made. So we kind of broke it down into um, the distinct parts of how to interact. So over the course of the 16 weeks, we built on those concepts. Um, each class, the way it was structured, is that we'd spend um, about a third of the time going over the teen's homework. So each week we mentioned that they had homework, which looked like it, it looked slightly different each week, but it it pretty much encompassed practicing the previous week's skills that they should have acquired. And then also um, like calling somebody, actually calling somebody or inviting somebody over or setting up a get together. Um, Things that might seem simple, but really they're not when you break them down to their individual parts. Um, The next 30 minutes was um, kind of going over the new material, more a didactic lesson. And then the the final third of the class was doing some in-person practicing of the skill that we were doing. Some role-playing? Yep, some role-playing and some discussion about how we would extract that information and utilize it in everyday life. So... Um, again, just such a benefit of being in a group setting. In terms of the role playing, I know if you go on, um, peers, P E E R S U C L A, and they have a whole bunch of videos on there, which are, are kind of fun to watch. They are. 
you know, just the way the, um, uh, the some of the interactions aren't going right because someone's dominating the conversation and you yes. got all these facial expressions from the other person. And they definitely, those videos are definitely over the top for a reason, really drive the message home. Um, but I know the teens um, during our didactic portion of the group, they did love the videos. They got a lot of giggles, but because they were so over the top, but it really drove the message home. So um, I was very grateful for those resources. I think it'd be very intimidating uh, for a young person on the spectrum to initiate a phone call. Yes. Uh, realizing the person they're talking to doesn't know that they're part of the homework yes. and doesn't know how they're supposed to react. And you know, you put a lot of risk, don't you? You do. And that's why we build up to making like, I don't want to say a cold call, but um, the first step was them calling, uh, making plans to call one of the other group members. So each week, the first six weeks was them literally uh, we would we would pair them up. They would make a plan to call each other to give them that confidence and those reps to be able to then, okay, then after week six, we start talking about who might be a good person for you to call and try to connect with and brainstorm that way. The parents really helped out with that as well. Um, and then kind of planning for those phone calls. So sending a text message ahead of time saying, hey, Johnny, do you remember me from from school? I'd love to, you know, catch up with you or give some sort of what we call cover story for why they're calling. So again, we broke it down to its individual parts to try to give them the the tools and resources to feel confident in making those phone calls um, from the beginning to the middle to the end, how to end the conversation in a socially appropriate manner. Um, so that was really, that's really fun. Um to kind of break it down like that. Well, I imagine it was fun when you saw that they had success at it. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, and they, they, there was so much confidence that was gained just from those inner group mm-hmm. calls, too. The first week was really rough, as could be expected. But then it was that 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 great experience and super valuable experience of, I made a phone call, I got through it, and I learned something about the mm-hmm. other person and maybe I enjoyed it for a little bit, and I didn't die. Yeah. I didn't die. That's- <laughs> I didn't die. And maybe I consider doing it again sometime. Yeah. In, a, in more of like a, a real-life setting. Yeah. Um, and some of them even had, like, they'd report that they were, like, on the phone with them for, like, an hour. And we had yeah. said this really should be – we wanted to keep it brief because um, there is a peer's philosophy that um, – you're supposed to discourage them from interacting outside of the group during while the, while the group is in session, just because that can create like interesting group dynamics. But I think, I still think a couple connections were made, um, which is kind of cool in and of itself. I know we're supposed to discourage that. And we did initially, but I mean, that is super cool if they can make long lasting connections with certainly that could be helpful. Right. So so I probably didn't discourage it as much as I could have, but um, but it didn't really affect the group dynamics. I, I yeah, found. and I wouldn't say anything got to that level either. Yeah. I think it was from talking with the parents too. It was more a realization that I could connect with somebody that I've only known for this small amount of time. And if I go through, so one of the skills they learn is this idea of transformation. Mm-hmm. So I give you some information, you give me information back, and we keep trading, find a common topic, something that we can talk about together. Mm-hmm. And I think it was genuinely surprising for some of these teens that they could call and get to that point after a few minutes where they found that they had something in common and mm-hmm. it wasn't just that they were both in peers together. And that was a really great experience for all of them. It strikes me as being interesting too, because we're talking about a texting generation. They don't mm-hmm. make phone calls so much. <laughs> exactly. And that was that was initially one of the difficult things because it's 2021. A lot of these teens hadn't ever called somebody on the phone before. Maybe they talked to grandma or grandpa, which is a generational thing too, to 
maybe call to say happy birthday, that Mm -hmm. kind of thing. But most of them, I don't think, had ever just called a friend before. They might have done a video call, um, but much more texting kind of thing Mm -hmm. as to actually just picking up the phone and having a conversation. When you look at these videos online, of course, they have the benefit of seeing the face and the expressions Mm -hmm. and all the other ways to communicate other than voice. On the phone, all you've got is voice. Mm-hmm. And that can be very, very intimidating, especially if, in this case of some people I know, all the bad news they ever received in their life was on the phone. So we don't associate <laughs> talking on the phone with being something pleasant. That's a good point, yeah. yeah. You know, I just would rather get off the phone because that's bad. We did let them, or we did say they could do a phone call or a video call. So okay. um, that was kind of up to the... At least you have some cues pairs. there. You can see if yeah. somebody's looking at their watch, you know. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And that's yeah. another thing that we trained trained our students in is looking for those nonverbals that someone might not be interested mm-hmm. um, because we said, like, statistically... Um, especially if it's kind of a cold call or cold approach, um, you're going to be successful only 50% of the time. That was a lot of what we covered because most of our kids previously had attempted social interaction and maybe didn't have the skills to really make it a successful experience. And so that affects them when they're having that negative experience. But one of our goals was to kind of get them ready for that. They are going to experience some rejection and that's okay because for everyone, 50% of the time, if you just go up to somebody to try to make an initial social interaction, you're, you're going to get rejected in some capacity. Hopefully that person's generous and just has some nonverbals that shows that they're not interested instead of outright saying like, don't talk to me. But it's still hurtful, and so we wanted to get them ready for that to make sure that that wasn't so that they don't get discouraged and they continue to try. Because 50% of the time they will be successful, and that could create a long-lasting friendship. But in their experience, it was almost 100% it wasn't successful. So exactly. you, you have to overcome that. Exactly. And so that's another thing that we, we really like to talk about, like what really is going to happen because we want to set them up for success, um, whatever success looks like for them. Um, success to me is them trying, um, and then trying again. So I wanted to make sure they knew that. So what's going on with the parents while this is going on? Are you covering the same topics in generally, but more from a support position? So in the parent group, we have a similar breakdown in terms of how we organize the time, but we took more time going over the homework and then a little bit less time going over the didactic lesson. And a lot of that was because it was all parents and they weren't coming there for social skills deficits and they could pick up on the lessons a little bit faster and didn't need the same kind of practice that the teens did. What was more important for the parents was I would just um, really ran it. We would go around the room and each parent would share what the experience was of the homework assignment for that week. And even if the teen wasn't able to complete the homework assignment, that was discussed and we would troubleshoot. I would act as coach for the parent. So then the parent could act as coach for their teen. So they were sharing the experiences, what obstacles maybe they had, and then what successes they had, which was great for all the other parents too, because just like the teens, it's unique to be in a group of teens who are facing the same sort of social deficits, um, especially because the teenage brain tends to think I'm the only one who has this problem. Parents can fall into that thinking too. And it's not common for a, for parents to be with a group of other parents who are facing similar challenges. I think especially with things like social media, it's been homecoming season. And so you go on Facebook or Instagram and everybody's posting pictures of their kids looking all pretty for homecoming. And if you have a teen that doesn't go to homecoming and doesn't have a group of friends, that feels isolating for the parents Mm -hmm. too. So to be with other parents to hear, yeah, I had to really prod my kid to make this phone call this week. And we were like three days late, but we still got it done. That feels great for them to be in that supportive environment. I would imagine as the weeks went on, the conversations and the sharing became even more beneficial because they got to know each other. Absolutely. Because I'm presuming they didn't know each other when they came in here. Mm -hmm. Correct. 
Okay. Correct. And and what there was some sharing of their own experiences and social difficulties or bullying experiences or things like that, that they could reflect on and and say, how is this affecting me as a parent, too? I don't want my kid to face that same thing. But that creation of that safe, safe group environment where they felt okay, first just sharing in a pretty factual way, but then moving into, well, how am I feeling about all of this? And yeah, how the was big feeling question. Yeah, exactly, exactly. So the focus, again, was really how did the teens and the families do with the homework assignments and then working on troubleshooting how to how to improve for the next week even if it was a fail so to speak how to get up and and keep keep doing it the next week and then and then the didactic lessons as well and some weeks the the lesson what there was more of an emphasis of on the the lesson portion because sometimes there really was new information like when we got into conflict resolution and bullying for instance there are some skills that peers teaches that are not the same as what we grow up. Like you don't, t- you don't stand up to your bully maybe in the same way a lot of people encourage. Like just walk away or just ignore them. That's actually not a very good skill when it comes to bullying because bullies are looking for some sort of reaction. And when you continue to ignore, you sometimes are encouraging that bully to try a different tactic Ramp so that they can bit. get the reaction. Yep. Exactly. And what a lot of the parents gave me feedback on was that it was, they felt really bad because they're like, I've been teaching my kid the wrong thing all these years, but it was valuable for them to hear this different idea. And then I could come in and say, don't beat yourself up. This is new stuff. None of us know. But I think what I appreciated from peers is the way they learned how to teach the conflict resolution and standing up for bullying and things like that was by looking at teens who are successful in that domain. And what do successful, competent teens do that prevent bullying? And so that's what we want to teach kids how to do. Mm -hmm. Successful teens don't ignore and walk away. Successful teens say whatever, or that's real funny, try again with a funnier one, or joke back and come off with confidence that the bully's like, oh, I guess I can't Don't feed with this the bully, person. right? <laughs> exactly. Exactly. And so those were the skills we emphasized instead. So that would have been a lesson that was more, I worked more with the parents on that teaching aspect. Um, other weeks, trading information, all the parents knew how to do that. I didn't need to practice that so much with them. But parental guilt comes automatic, doesn't it? I mean, it's, Absolutely. Yes. Yeah. I've got five. The youngest one is 31, and it's always, oh, I should have done this, or I could have done that, or I taught them the wrong thing, or, you know, whatever. It's just part of what we do. Right. Absolutely. And making sure it's not going to get in the way, too. Like, okay, like, let's this from a different approach and see if that goes better this time. You always get a second chance and a do-over. So what difference did you see from the first, let's say, five weeks to the last five weeks? I think so many things. Um, (laughs) First and foremost, confidence, social confidence, um, just in the teens reflecting on their homework. And we did a lot of talking about the upcoming school year because the, the last week was a lot of their like first and second weeks of school. So that was actually really nice to be able to um, Mm -hmm. see or hear from them what they actually, what skills they actually utilized. I also think over the course of the weeks, they became so much more engaged, um, which was really cool to see. So our group discussion, sometimes the material we were covering, Kelly and I would always meet ahead of time. And I was like, we just don't have a ton of didactic material to cover I bet we're going to end early and those were always the days that we ran a little bit over because the group discussion was so good and I thought that was the most valuable thing when people were sharing their own insights um the teens just ate that up from each other and so I think the level of engagement and sharing really increased over time which also kind of made me feel like they were going to be more engaged in other social settings outside of the group. So that was really exciting from my perspective. So was it sad seeing it come to an end? You got to know these people over the summer? You know, it was, but I do feel like because the school year had started, um, it was time. And I guess I would love to, 
I might send out an email to everybody just to check in because how are you I am. Doing? Yeah. I that's true. I am dying to know how everybody's doing. Um, you know, since school is back in session, and I think all of our teens are in person. So, mm-hmm. um, yeah, it'd be it would be nice to know what what the outcomes were, so to speak. Because there's likely to be some kind of regression. On sure. Some of the things they learned and. Having a little outreach lets them know that you're still there, even if you're not doing the same interaction, but, you know, kind of keeps them on course. Yeah, absolutely. I will say that the peers curriculum, though, um, there's been a ton of research done on it. And if the if the parent and the teen engage at the level at a certain level, like, let's say above 80 percent, it's you're supposed to be able to never have to take another peers course again, because some parents reach out and they're like, can we do this again? Um, and actually you don't need to, um, again, if you're engaged at the level that you need to be to get all of the content. So, but I still think a, a good reaching out to them is not a bad idea at all. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I just did a, like I said, a cursory view of their courses yeah. run through and you can see there's a common theme that just is adapted to different situations. So yeah, if you were successful one, you should be able to, transfer those skills to other situations. And they really use the concept of repetition. I mean, to an outsider, it may have seemed like we were just being so redundant with our topics, but that is what the kind of over teaching, I think, is what really instilled these concepts into our students. So um, from that perspective, it was definitely the right strategy for our group of teens. And parents. So I think with parents, um, there's two big things that I saw in terms of the the gains that they made. One was just an increased understanding of how much social skills are truly skills. And it's not just an innate ability that people have or don't have. And so that redundancy that Kate mentioned of going over these concepts over and over and over again the parents are now able to reinforce those things. So if a, if a teen comes home and says, I don't have anybody to sit with during lunch, they can say, well, have you tried trading information first just to see if you have something in common with somebody? So they can go back to those skills and those tools as opposed to, well, just try sitting next to somebody and maybe they'll strike up a conversation. That it's that especially for kids who um, have ADHD or autism, that that organizing all of that, that fluid information that happens in a social situation, it gives them more structure to address it. Mm-hmm. So learning that importance of skills when it comes to social relationships. And I think the other piece that I saw was parents moving forward with really understanding the capabilities of their teens. And I would say in both directions. And some of it was some parents realizing my teen isn't as capable as maybe I thought they were, which may sound harsh, but that's an important thing to understand because then that means that teen needs more structure, more support, more scaffolding to have these kinds of positive experiences. And if you don't realize that that support is needed, that teen is going to have a lot more failures. They're going to be way below that mm-hmm. 50% or above, whichever way you count it. They're going to they're gonna struggle a lot more if you're expecting them to just go out and make friends when they're not there yet. But then I think on the other end, too, recognizing my teen is more capable than I gave them credit for. So parents at the beginning that were like, there's no way my teen is going to be able to call a peer or set up a play date. And we had a teen who was planning parties like a like a party for himself by the end of the the thing and and that that growth was great so Mm -hmm. parents to see man maybe my teen is capable of more than i'm giving them credit for they always are yeah at any age but i'm just thinking when the parents are sharing information about this and let's how many teens did you have in a group was it we had 10. 10? Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. And they know two of them probably are at the same level of skills. Correct. Okay. So they're Correct. very, very different. Yes. And one is out planning parties and the other one is still struggling uh, right. to make a phone call. Uh, that's got to be a bit hurtful to the parent to realize that their child is that far behind or has these additional needs. And this other one is excelling. 
Right. I think with the group of parents, though, it there. I think because they're parents of teens, they're at a different place in their parenting too. I'm not sure how it would go with like a lower elementary group of parents who might be just at a beginning stage of understanding who their child is. So all of these parents, they've been they've been going through a lot with their teens. We never spoke of diagnoses. That wasn't a part of the curriculum, and um, it frankly wasn't important. What I know from no, getting to know the teens a little bit and knowing the parents, they've, they've been through some struggles already with their teens. So... That was something that I worked to really, really be upfront about the non-judgment and the supportive environment that needed to happen among the parents because there were going to be different levels of achievement. And by, you know, really quickly into the group, I would say too, parents would say, you know, I recognize that my child, is, the goals are going to have to be a little bit different than the other teens in this group. And I think, again, these are parents who have had to be having those conversations in school and already before, like maybe maybe reading level is a little bit different for their for their child or they're not having the homecoming pictures and those kinds of things. So it's not a new thing for them. Mm-hmm. It's very human and very hard to make those comparisons. Right. That right. so-and-so is doing really good and my child is struggling or vice versa. Yeah. And then say, what am I doing wrong? Or But even if you intellectually know that you didn't do anything wrong, you still have that feeling. Of course. Yeah. And I think we tried to turn it around a little bit and maybe feel, at least in the in the teen group, I found that um, the students were all super supportive of one another, even though, again, from like an outsider's perspective, you'd be like, wow, you guys are in completely different playing fields. But they were all just like celebrating each other's successes. But I would try to use use a little bit of peer pressure when I did see differences in effort. Um and kind of praise the effort, not necessarily the outcome, um, to inspire everybody to get to their, to optimize their own potential. Um, so that's what I sort of focused on. I would do a lot of praising of when the teen would report what they did that past week. I would, I would praise the the effort again instead of just the the outcome. Well, sure. I mean, think of it this way: you said a fifty percent chance of of being rejected. Yeah, it's like flipping a coin. Yeah, exactly. you might get one person might have gotten heads five times last week. Yeah, the other right. one got tails five times last week. But it's week. also a numbers game because if yeah. you only flip the coin once, exactly, then one hundred percent of your efforts are. So you have to go for effort, yeah. Exactly. Activity. So that's that's what I I felt the effort was more of the success than the actual outcome, and the outcomes came from that effort. So, do you know if these teens are staying in contact with each other? It sounds like they formed a, a pretty cohesive group there. I would say I I know a few like dyads that kind of um, Mm -hmm. made connections and I'm sure that they're continuing to talk but I don't know if there's any sort of like parent group thread or anything I don't I don't know and I so I'm yeah I'm not sure about that it'd be cool if they did yeah it's like they had a summer camp together you know exactly experience yep and that, that would be, be a good way to give them continuing support from each other. Yeah absolutely I think um, when we reach out to them in a couple weeks we'll we'll Inquire about that. So what did the two of you learn? Since we're always learning something. Of course. There's always a surprise, right? (laughs) Yes. Um, I think we learned to do one thing, for me especially, but we've talked about this, Kelly, that on the front end, I may be more clear about tangible expectations. Um throughout the group. For example, I may not have given parents initially as much upfront information about what expectations were going to happen throughout um, the course of the group in terms of what actually needs to happen. Like you actually need to find a group um, or some sort of um, extracurricular activity where you can practice these skills that was something that we was a little more fluid and was difficult because of COVID and because it was summer. 
So I think just providing a little bit more scaffolding on the front end to the parents um, would be something I would do differently. Um, yeah, that's definitely first and foremost. What about you, Kelly? I think more about just learning again how important it is to have parents a part of anything that mm-hmm. kids are learning and working on and just maybe it's learning and reinforcing at the same time and how valuable that is for parents to connect with other parents, but then how important it is for parents to really learn how to be the right kind of parent and that we can't let parents feel like I should just know how to do this. Mm -hmm. We know kids don't come with instruction booklets. We know especially Social skills are not going to be automatic for all kids, and not all parents are going to know how to teach that to their kids. So I, I, again, will say what I see is so valuable with the peers program is that there are classes for the parents and classes for the teens simultaneously. Mm -hmm. And I think it's valuable that it's not together. The parents a little bit were wishing that they could see their teens in action sometimes. And maybe some crossover would have been valuable for the parents to see what their teens were actually doing. But I don't think anything would have been able to happen in the same way if it was one big Probably not. Yeah. Completely. Yeah. I remember just quoting and a paraphrase it. And I think it's something that's really helpful for parents. You, you made the best decision you could at the time, given what you knew at the time. Mm-hmm. And Absolutely. don't beat yourself up for it. Because if kids are only, any of us are only successful 50% of the time, you're going to make wrong choices and, and wrong calls as a parent. Right, for but sure. But you learn something and you correct what you do. Mm-hmm. And you did the best you possibly could at the time. Right, right. But they had each other to share those experiences. That was that was pretty cool. Mm-hmm. Yeah, those shared experiences are definitely powerful. I think from both the parents and the teens' perspective. So you make some changes because always probably the second or third time you do this, you got it really nailed by then, right? Yes, <laughs> of course. Yeah, exactly. I am excited to run it again um, mm-hmm. because I think yeah we've just learned a lot and we're kind of honing in our skills on this. Okay, so for parents that might be listening to this and saying, gosh, I wish I was in that class, uh, what can they do? Uh, They don't have, I mean, you had a great benefit by by having the parents uh, separated from the the teens, and then the parents, the the teens understood that the parents' role was to be a coach, so it wasn't coming from mom and dad, it was coming from you. Right. Mm -hmm. And they were the one actually coaching them, so it was more credibility that way. Yes. But if, if a parent and a child are trying to do this on their own, what can they do to try to increase those skills? Well, I think I think education is first and foremost. So uh, Dr. Logason, who created the Peers um, Curriculum, has a great book called The Science of Making Friends. Um, that's a great first step. It's written... Um, for parents to teach their kids these same concepts. It comes with a DVD um, that you can, if anyone has still has a DVD player, um, <laughs> that has all those videos um, with the different examples, but you can also get those online. So I think that's a good first step. Um, I wouldn't recommend a parent just being inspired and going and encouraging their their. Um, teens without kind of stepping back and learning the different, like breaking down social skills into their individual parts. I think that is huge um, to set yourself up for success. Another thing is that UCLA um, Peers has a number of online groups. So we are, so parents who are local, um, we're planning to run the group again in March, starting in March. So Come to Brains and do that. Excellent. But in the absence of um, availability, because we actually already had a wait list from last time, so call and get on that wait list. Um, but if that's not available to you, also um, going on UCLA Peers and seeing what virtual groups they have, because that's another great way to build the skill acquisition. I'm, I really like the in-person option, but... I mean, you're still going to gain so many skills by the online groups. It would not be good to have 20 or 30 people. No. The 10 is an optimum number for yes. those teens to be able it to really relate is. to each other. I don't, I don't really want to run a group with more than that. Yeah. 
So, and you can't run them constantly. Exactly. So having that online option is very helpful. Mm -hmm. And again, all the videos are on there, which are kind of fun to watch. Yeah, absolutely. Some of them are a bit entertaining while they're they're informative at the same time. They absolutely are. So I do, it is, it is some work here, whichever option you choose, but definitely taking the time to educate yourself as a parent to understand how breaking down um, these social skills, how many different individual components there are to these things, um, I think will definitely set a parent up for success. I also would say parents especially, and even elementary aged, parents of elementary aged children, to not hesitate to go more simple than you think your child needs. And so I talked about trading information is one of the first concepts that we cover. A lot of the parents were like, this is going to be easy for my kid. And it really wasn't easy for any of them. And so what's what becomes difficult about trading information is when you get a response that's not on script or a question gets asked that you weren't expecting, all of that unexpected, all of those unexpected pieces mm-hmm. were difficult for all of the teens to manage. And frankly, it was difficult for the parents to figure out, well, I'm supposed to be doing this skill, but it starts to get gray. And mm-hmm. so again, it might seem simple. My teen knows how to trade information. They know how to go up and talk to somebody, but don't over, don't underestimate the importance of really starting with a very simple skill. Mm-hmm. That appears simple. I don't it think trading simple. It's information not as simple is as simple. Yeah. No. You know, I'm just thinking about this. There's so many things we do automatically from our experiences that we learn how to react and how to reply and, and how to judge a social situation. It's kind of like writing a manual on how to ride a bike. Mm-hmm. There's so many skills involved in it that you just, you, you've absorbed and you exactly. just use them, okay? You, exactly. you know exactly how to balance it, but if you had to write out a manual to explain to somebody how to do that, it sounds, and maybe it's a little bit of a hyper example, but yeah. it's the same thing. They have to be able to read the body language and the facial expression, which they're not very good at, yeah, and, and maybe content of what they're saying. And to me, that is so much work. Yeah, exactly. And any skill. So you mentioned riding a bike. I think that's a perfect example. Some some people are going to get on a bike and they're going to feel that balance automatically, but not everybody is. And when a skill doesn't come naturally or a skill is more difficult, you have to be more explicit in the way that you're teaching that skill. And so when social skills are difficult, you need to be more explicit Mm -hmm. in how to teach that skill. And it may turn into individuals who are a bit formulaic in their social skill interactions but that's gonna that that formula aspect is gonna fade with time and mm-hmm. it will start to be able to be a little bit more natural with practice with that practice just like the kid is gonna get on the bike and not say okay I have to sit on the seat and then I have to put my hands on the handlebar and I need to grip the brakes before I start pedaling so I don't take off too fast like all those explicit steps eventually won't have to be repeated mm-hmm a lot of work. Absolutely. It is. It definitely is. And that's why it was There's great rewards long. in it, but uh, it's a lot of work. And I'm very thankful for the fact you're helping these people. Yeah. It was It was a great experience, um, I think, all around. So. Yeah. And I would imagine parents are beginning to learn that, yes, their son or daughter might struggle at this, but they might excel over here. Absolutely. And it's yeah. so different from each one because mm-hmm. you had 10 totally different individuals there. Mm-hmm. You just can't say 10 people with autism. The old saying is you've met one person with autism, you've met one person with autism, autism, right? Exactly. (laughs) But we have a tendency to group it all under one label and have certain expectations for behavior. Right. And that is absolutely not true. So one one last piece I would encourage parents to think about too is I don't know that we've even said friendship very much in this conversation. Mm -hmm. And to reemphasize that, sure, we want our kids and we want to have friendships with people but it really isn't focused on friendships 
And sometimes that can be a turnoff to teens, too, that they're like, I'm fine in that department. I don't need to be making friends. But this, I mean, looking at the acronym again, it's about relational skills. Mm -hmm. So this is going to a restaurant and ordering food. This is having a, a relationship with a student who sits next to you in class or a work colleague eventually. It's how to have social interactions with people. It's really not emphasizing this idea of making friends. It's not a friendship group. And so keeping that in mind too, if if a parent is considering a group like this or working on skills, it's not just about finding your best friend. It's about having these these social skills for all different kinds of social interactions. Well, I know that's one of the goals they have with peers, but to me, friendship is taking that those skills to another level and having vulnerability in the relationship. Yes, and that's hard, yes. especially when you don't feel very confident about just the interrelation part of it. Right. So that's probably something that can come out of these skills. That's exactly right. Just to piggyback on what Kelly just said. I do think one of the one of the goals is to eventually achieve friendship level with somebody because research has shown the um, benefits, the, the overwhelming benefits that people have when they have a true friend. But all the skills that they have to learn to get to achieving um, a true friendship are beneficial in literally every facet of life um, because we are in a social society just interacting at the grocery store or school or work eventually. Everything is um, has a relational piece to it. So, so we are working towards that as a goal, but all the skills that they acquire along the way are helpful. You can't jump to the last part for you, friendship. It's, you can't, absolutely. Yeah. But we do want those teens to have, and I, I emphasize that in our group more so that like even just one solid, true um, friendship is has enough of the um, beneficial um, factors to, yeah. you know, to increase someone's well-being in life and their psychological well-being, perfect, to be perfectly honest. And when you get to the idea of dating and romance, exactly. et cetera, that person better be your best friend. You're going to go through a lot together. Yes. <laughs> Sometimes. Fortunately, we only touched on dating. That's another, that's for the next, yeah. uh, the next cohort when they're a little bit older. Um, but yeah, I was kind of grateful for you know, that. Earlier, we, you had said that some of these skills would be able transferable, but I sure. think there are there are big leaps. Things like the friendship or the dating. Right. The protocols are so different. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I will say, so even though earlier I had said you don't need to like repeat the group ever right. if you've engaged at a certain level, but UCLA has great... Um, kind of boot camps for almost like add-on skills that you would need later. So specifically with romantic partners, um, they'll have like weekend intensive courses that could be in person, but I think online is more um, doable for anyone outside yeah. of the LA area. Yeah. Um, so there are some great, um, great resources there to continue learning at your different life stages. Could, but having the peers, like the full peers curriculum background absolutely is going to set you apart because you will have heard these skills previously and you're just applying them in a different setting, that being a romantic relationship. So parents interested in this or even people with autism, uh, The Science of Making Friends. Is the book, yes. Yeah. That is Which the book. Which is so funny because I always thought of it as being an art, but it could be an art and a science. It is. It's both for sure. Anything else? Any words of wisdom to share with parents that might be listening to this and saying, wow, that sounds great. I think reach out to um, either Kate or I if you have questions. You okay. can find our contact information on the Brains website. And we'll have it on posted with this also. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. We and both feel so passionately about this that I, I honestly think these skills are, I'm very biased, but like some of the most important skills you can acquire to lead um, a successful life. So in starting you know, as a teen, I think is setting these kids up for once they graduate high school, whatever's next for them. But we need these skills to to be able to progress to the next level and optimize our optimize our success. Yeah. 
I've heard so often that human beings are hardwired for relationships, and mm, when the true. wires are lacking or the cables don't fit together, it's got to be very tough. So, right, I think this is more important than math or science or. I mean, I do else. too, but I don't want to downplay um, those academic no, they're all skills. Important. They're all important, but you know, yes. um, you really can't discuss much about math. I mean, yeah. maybe a mathematician's can. I've heard that people in Silicon Valley have really strange close relationships because most of them are autistic. <laughs> but they're functioning at that level yes. of nerdiness where uh, that those are really important skills. Yeah. But socially, that's the only group they're comfortable with. And that's fine. Yeah. That is total that is one of the skills, not to backtrack, but that's one of the skills we go over, like appropriately identify your group, um, the people who would be Yeah. For both the parents and the teens. And that was a really, really valuable lesson too. So the parents had to brainstorm what kinds of kids or what of these stereotypical high school groups do you think your teen would fit in best with? The teens were doing that same thing. And then the parents and the teens talked about, well, I think you'd fit in well here. The teen might be like, what? Why would you say that? But to really think what's going to be an accepting group, what's going to be the right vibe. And what matches my, my kids interests too. Um, Because they, we're not trying to change anybody. We're trying to enhance their skills and find groups that will, um, you know, really complement their interests. So yeah, like Silicon Valley is a perfect example of, you know, groups of people who found each other who have very similar interests and personalities. And that's, that's great. And thank um, God we're all benefiting from the skills, right? Completely. Uh, you so, know, autism should be seen as a strength, not a weakness. It's I, not something to be fixed. It's just absolutely. A, and then apply I, it the right way. I think we have that shared belief as well. So that's, yeah. that's what we're, we're trying to enhance um, their skills and provide open doors up for um, our teens to, again, have the best experience possible. Thank you very much. I yeah, really appreciate you. You're being welcome. Here. We really appreciate you. Uh, yeah. Okay. Thank you. Getting the message out. Hi, this is Kiri. And this is the Chat Cafe portion of our program. I'm here with Steve. Hello. And we're going to chat a little bit about the things that we learned from Kelly and Kate regarding the Peers Curriculum. What an exciting program. It really is. They've done a great job working with some young people, learning how to have a successful conversation with their peers. And uh, it, it really is pretty, pretty cool. I really liked how... The parents need to come along with this uh, because as the teens are learning, the parents are learning as well so that they could be the coaches. An important part about the parents going through some training is that the teens recognize that their parents are coaches. They all of a sudden have credibility because most teens don't want to listen to mom and dad anyway, but they know that the mom and dad have gone through this program. It's their responsibility to help them keep on track. So all of a sudden, the parent is an ally rather than an adversary. Exactly. <laughs> the, and as well as another bonus, there's bonuses all over the place with this program. Yep. Not only do these kids find out that they are not the only ones in this situation. Because they think they are. Because they think they are. But so do the parents. My socially awkward kid is not the only one out there on the planet. <sighs> right. It, it helps a great deal for parents to talk about their experiences, too, and they get that opportunity separate from their teenagers because they are in a different class. Exactly. Area. Exactly. They don't, they don't go to this class together. The right. teens are in one and the parents are in another. Excellent. Dr. Shannon Excellent. worked with the teens and Kelly worked with the parents. Nice. Lovely to be able to trial these things in a situation where you know the other people in there with you are also as awkward as you are, are as uncertain as you are. Uncomfortable. Are uncomfortable. How wonderful. And one of their main objectives is to get these people ready for rejection because, face it, in social situations, 50% chance of rejection every time. And, and like I pointed out in the conversation, it, maybe it's a 50-50 chance, but you might have, uh, you flip the coin, you might get f- three heads in a row. You might have three rejections. 
you got to flip it three times in a row. You can't be one and it's done. It's a matter of showing up. Yeah, they're yeah. focusing on the activity and the effort rather than the results. And it's, uh. it can't be hard, but when you start realizing some successes, you feel better about it. Exactly. And that's just what life is about. I mean, I remember being a very awkward teenager. Really, really hard time having conversations with other folks. Oh, but it wasn't, yeah. it wasn't a condition that I had to live with in all so social situations. It was just particularly with peers in high school. Huh? It wasn't a pretty four years. It really no, wasn't. <laughs> I don't think anybody... It's, it's just an ugly time anyway. <laughs> so they do focus on the effort, which I think is the only thing you really can do. And, exactly. And you learn yep. from yep. the mistakes every time yeah. you learn from the mistakes. But yeah. sometimes no matter what you do and no matter what you say and who you are, you're not going to find someone who's interested in talking with you. Right. And that's tough, but they got by with it and they and, did well. And you know what? It's also okay. Yeah. It's also okay. It's it. I, I love how the parents celebrated each other mm -hmm. through this process also because you know, when when your kid's not doing that great, it's you know, it's not it's not fun. I don't recall when Liam was young that we had a group of parents that we spoke with on a regular basis. Yep. Yep. I mean, we are going through our own grieving and difficulty and angst about whether we're doing the right thing, but we didn't have any group that we could sit down and have a coffee or a beer with to compare experiences. It'd be nice. Right. One of the things that I uh I really liked about this is these are relational skills that they're teaching these kids. As such, as Kate had pointed out several times, they're universally applicable to anybody. And, and there's times and when I looked at their goals for this program, and I thought I wouldn't mind sitting in on this class myself because sometimes it's very difficult to start a conversation or maintain a conversation. Right, right. I'm, I am more of an introvert than an extrovert. It's really difficult sometimes to be rejected because someone doesn't really want to pursue a conversation with you and you're being friendly and you realize that it's not being returned. It's always a little bit hard. I was really impressed with the enthusiasm that Kate and Kelly have about peers. These ladies were quite excited about this program. I think this was they're the first very, time, the yeah, first time that they did this. The first time, they're very enthused about it and they will be doing more of them I think in March of 2022, she mentioned having another one. Yes. And I imagine this will be kind of an ongoing thing because when small batches, when you only have 10 people, it's going to take you a long time to be able to reach a significant number. Well, yeah, exactly. But that's okay because the small batches are really, I think, oh, that, highly effective. that those are very effective. Indeed, indeed. Yeah. And then once you learn this these techniques and how to break down the steps for the different skills, you can add on new skills. Mostly it's it's just enhancing their skills and then that will provide open doors to get into some of the other things. Because if you don't develop the, the, the social skills in the teenage years, when you graduate high school, when you graduate from college, if you haven't learned how to make friends or learn these social connections, right. what it, what's going to happen? All of this is doing the relational skills that you need for when you do have a job. If you mm -hmm. learn how to do it this way, you'll be able to use these skills when you're at a restaurant you ordering them. food. You build upon When them. you start working and you're interacting with people that you work with. Yep. Interact with them, talk with them, or stay in your little bubble. Now, we have posted links to the PIRS website where you'll find the videos we spoke about. And they're quite interesting because they'll show you the same conversation like four or five different ways with somebody doing it the right way, somebody kind of in a challenging way. And then they're built for discussion so that these young folks would watch that. Then they would talk about what happened when Susie was talking to Mary. They're able to to take those those conversations apart and find out where the mistake was. Right. So they and, don't go down that road. learn how to practice. Right. And they did some nice. role-playing at Brains also, but they were able right. to watch. Because we learn a lot from observation. And role-playing. Yes. And sometimes role-playing can <clears throat> feel kind of awkward at first. You're, sure, it does. Yeah. smashed with somebody you don't know anything about, and you're supposed to pretend like you're friends, and you're like, 
Ew. And everybody else in the room is watching you do the role playing, which yes, is really hard because yes, you know it's, yes, it's like, bad oh, enough yeah. that you know you, you and obviously you have an audience too. Right, <laughs> but it's practice, and yeah. you do it a couple of times. You find out that that person was nervous too, and you know what? It's it wasn't that bad, and you didn't die. I loved when they said that. I did all of this, and I didn't die. And I didn't die. <laughs> and then the book that they refer to in there, the science of making friends. Yes. Excellent resource for someone who is not able to make this program or they've signed up and they're on a wait it's list. It's an and, excellent place to start looking at this And the stuff. videos are right online and they're free, so it gives you a place to, to work from. But they said it's better to have an understanding by going through the book first because if you just start telling your son or daughter yeah, well, to do we'll something see. a certain way, good luck. Teenager, good luck teenager yeah. syndrome. Yep. Big time, big time. Well, how excellent. So glad they're going to continue this. It's going to be very exciting to see how this rolls out. If you have any comments or questions, please email us at contact at nlawkey.com. That's contact at nlawki.com. We'd love to hear from you. If you found this podcast beneficial, please refer us to your friends. Let two or three of them know about navigating life as we know it. Send them a link to this episode and encourage them to listen. Also, please consider subscribing. You will find Navigating Life as We Know It at Google, Spotify, Apple, or any of the major sources for podcasts. Until next time, be well and be kind. And thanks for listening. Thank you for tuning in to Navigating Life as We Know It. Your hosts have been Steve and Carrie Johnson. Alexander Stark, a.k.a. me, is your producer and editor. Holly Johnson maintains our website and helps write our blog articles. And Daniela Munoz helps with research, outreach, and social media. We couldn't do what we do without every person here, including you, our listeners, who give us the most important thing of all, purpose. Until next time, Enlocky is a production of Envision Media Group, LLC.